Hello and welcome back. This is the It's God's Word podcast. I am Pastor David Palmer, pastor of Lower Three Runs Baptist Church in Martin, South Carolina. And today we are continuing our study on the book of James. We will pick up where we left off in James chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 7 through 12. Would you pray with me as we begin? Father, we just thank you so much, and we ask you to take this time and open our hearts and our minds to your word, and Lord, just let it indwell us and seep deep inside, convict us, change us, and draw us close to you. We thank you in advance, for it is in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And we're just going to go ahead and read through these verses in the book of James, chapter 4, verses 7 through 12, and then we'll get started. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges its brother will speak evil of the law and judges of the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? Now, first thing we want to notice as we get started here is that we're, we're told to submit to God, to resist the devil, and that he will flee. Now, Satan is a very real and very active threat. He would love nothing more than to convince us that he's not dangerous or even that he doesn't exist. That would make his job a whole lot easier. But that's not what we're told in Scripture. He's real. He's active, and he is dangerous. And he has a singular purpose, and that purpose is to destroy and devour everything that God wants to make clean and whole. Just look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So how do we deal with this? Uh, Peter tells us quite specifically to to watch and be careful and be cautious, uh, to resist him, and that we will likely suffer at his hands. Uh, He ends those two verses that I was reading by saying, Knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood worldwide. These are sufferings that are at the hands of Satan. So he is very real, very active, and he is dangerous. So how do we deal with that? Well, we are never ever told in Scripture to try to fight Satan. We should never brashly try to take him on. We should never try to go toe-to-toe with him. He will chew us up and spit us out. And it's interesting to note that not even the archangel Michael dared to attempt that. And here we're talking about a very powerful archangel, but not even Michael would dare to go toe-to-toe with Satan. Look at Jude verse 9. 
Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. The Lord has already defeated him, and he will fight our battle against Satan. All we have to do is resist the devil and draw near to God. So what we're told here is to, uh, as we resist the devil, we're told to submit to God and resist the devil are the exact words that James uses. Uh, indeed, you cannot submit to God and the devil at the same time, right? That would be impossible. And as we talked about last week, it must be one or the other. All people are either under the lordship of Christ or under the lordship of Satan. There is no middle ground. Uh, we talked about that lack of middle ground some last week. But the, the, the closer we are to God, the far, farther we will be from Satan. And it makes sense, really. If you draw closer to God, you're farther from Satan. It, it just makes perfect sense. But drawing close to God means something. It means that there will be a cleansing. Look at verse 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, really and truly, this is a call for repentance. That's what James is telling us to do. He's calling his readers double-minded, and that underscores the fact that they have no real desire to repent. Now, the, the problem is that we want Jesus to save us. But we don't want him to change us, right? We want to hold on to those old things. We want the salvation, but we don't want the change. We want his forgiveness, but not his cleansing, because that would mean change. And we're kind of comfortable in the way things are, right? So we're unwilling to leave our old ways behind. We want the blessing without the responsibility, and we refuse to repent. So many people today are just trying to take out fire insurance, and it does not work that way. Look, if we are not willing to let Jesus cleanse us, we cannot have any part with him. Don't believe me? Look at what he tells Peter in John chapter 13, verse 8. Now, this is that whole section of scripture about Jesus washing the feet of the disciples, uh, Peter says, no, I, I can't let you do that. But look at what Jesus' reply to Peter was. John chapter 13, verse 8. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Now think about what he's really saying there. If we're not willing to allow him to cleanse us, to purify us, to clean us, then we have no part with him. And Jesus demands repentance. And the message is quite urgent. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Here's what Jesus has to say. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And again in Mark chapter 1 verse 15. And saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. We repent. Jesus cleanses. That is the way it works. And if we don't allow Jesus to, to wash us and to cleanse us, we can have no part with him. In such case, we cannot draw close to God. It will be impossible. 
and there will be nothing for the devil to flee from. Resistance is futile because he already has you. Now, let's go on to verse 9 as we're talking about this repentance. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. This paints the picture of someone who is totally broken over their sin. And as you draw closer and closer to God, Indeed, you will be ashamed of and broken by your sin. There's really no way around it. You cannot be in the presence of a just and righteous and holy God and not recognize how lowly and sinful you truly are. We are imperfect, we are sinful, and we can't be in the presence of holy perfection without realizing just how dirty and wicked and simple we are. So one who is ashamed of and broken by their sin will repent of it. It's a mark of humility. Once your sin draws you to your knees, once your sin brings you to tears, you will want to repent of it. It's just that simple. Verse 10 says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. And this is really the key to it, I think. It, because if you don't have a humble heart, you won't have a repentant heart. Because what's the opposite of a humble heart? It is a prideful heart. And a prideful heart is going to be unwilling to change anything because it's going to be unwilling to admit that they are, are wrong or dirty or bad in any way. But a humble heart's going to notice those flaws, those imperfections, those sins. Let's call them what they are, sins. A humble heart will recognize that. A humble heart will be willing to change and eager to repent. But those who are, are humble and, and therefore repentant, look at what verse 10 says. And he will lift you up. You will be lifted up by God. But you simply, you cannot resist as well. You have to have that humbleness. You have to be broken by your sin and have that humbleness and, and be willing to repent. You have, you can't resist God's will. You have to be willing to let him do with you as he desires. Just as Jesus told Peter, if I don't wash you, you cannot have any part with me. So, being a disciple of Christ is not a matter of comfort. It's not a matter of convenience. It's a matter of surrendering to God's will, not your own. It's a matter of submission and humility. And as James goes on to explain, we also need to be willing to treat others that same way. Because as we look at verse 11, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law, and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Now let's let's back up one second. Humble yourselves, verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. So, if God is going to lift you up, why should you tear others down? That's really what we need to be asking ourselves. And speaking evil of one another is destructive. It's vicious gossip. That's all it is, and it serves no constructive purpose. 
Now, this doesn't prohibit us from confronting others about sin, but there is a biblical way to do it. Uh, it. It is the duty of Christians to do such, to confront each other about sin and hold each other accountable. But it's not about tearing people down. M- Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Now, you have this hierarchy of steps lined out here. We're not going to go into great detail in that. But but the but we can see from the very beginning of that passage is that the intent is to gain a brother. The intent is to help somebody out of their sin. The intent is one of love and humility, of course. It's to help someone get back into God's will, to help someone draw close to God, as, as we are told to do, that has slipped away. So the purpose should always be to lift a brother up and to help them out of their sin. It should be a loving and constructive act, not a spiteful and destructive one, such as James is speaking about, speaking evil of one another. This does not lift people up. This tears people down. It destroys people. It is not how Christ has treated you, and it is not how we should treat others. In such mean-spirited, derogatory, critical, slanderous accusations against others is precisely what James is condemning here. By acting in such a way, you're no longer a doer of the law. Oh, love your neighbor neighbor as yourself. Uh, 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 Love your enemy. Pray for your enemy. And if you're not doing those things, you're not a doer of the law. So you're violating the very law you claim to uphold. So we need to examine our attitudes and our actions toward others. Do you bail people up or do you tear them down? When you're ready to criticize someone, uh, remember God's law of love here and, and say something good instead. Because there's only one lawgiver, and guess what? It ain't you. It ain't me. It is the Lord God the Father. Verse 12, there is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? And of course, just to clarify, we're talking about this mean-spirited, condemning, and spiteful type judgment. We are not speaking about... um, lovingly and constructively holding each other accountable as we are actually instructed to do. But there's only one lawgiver. It ain't you, it ain't me. Isaiah 33 verse 22 says, For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our our king. He will save us. He alone has the authority to save those who repent from its the penalty to repent. Only God has that ability. I'm sorry, getting just a little bit tongue twisted there, but but only God alone has the authority to save those who repent. He alone has the authority to destroy those who refuse to repent. 
which brings us right back around to repentance, humility, and drawing near to God. Here's the thing. Bowing in humility before the Lord means recognizing that our worth comes from God alone. To be humble involves leaning on His power and His guidance and not going our own way. And although we do not deserve God's favor, He wants to lift us up and to draw us near to Him, but we must be willing. And if we are to resist the attacks of the devil, we need to be willing to humble ourselves, to repent, and to draw near to Him, and the devil will flee because he's not going to have anything to work with. It's just that simple. But we have to have those humble hearts. We have to be ready to repent. Which, by the way, we are all in need of. Every single one of us. There's not one who's exempt from this. None of us are perfect. So we all are in need of repentance from something. You and God may be the only ones who know yet what what that is. But, but everyone is in need of repenting of something. So here's the question. You feel like Satan's on you constantly. Then humble yourself before the Lord. Submit to him. Repent. And the devil will flee. There's your answer. And by the way, that humble person is going to treat others just the same as God has treated him. He, he, he will not tear others down, but he will lift them up just as God is, is lifting you up. So here's the question. Again, the rest of the question. Will you bow before the Lord today in humble repentance? If you are a born-again believer, you're still not perfect. You're still in need of repentance from something. Will you bow before the Lord in humble repentance? If you are not a born-again believer, meaning if, if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you already belong to the devil. And if you want to escape those perils of hell, if you want to be able to draw near to God, the first thing you have to do is place your faith in Him. Romans 10.9 tells us quite specifically, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it in a nutshell. And I pray that if you're out there listening and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you will bow yourself before him today and confess him as your Lord, that you will believe with all your heart, that God has raised him from the dead, that he is not dead, but that he is alive and he is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved and, and you can be near to God where it's safe. That doesn't mean you won't have any troubles, as we saw at the very beginning. Uh, Satan is roaming around, he is attacking, he is devouring, and people are suffering, Christians are suffering at his hand. But you have God's strength to lean on. You have the comfort of knowing that Satan is already a defeated enemy. You don't have to do it, God has already done it, so all you have to do is get close to him. So I pray that that will be the case this morning. Let's pray as we close out. Father, just thank you so much for giving us your word. And I pray that as, as we hear it, and as everyone out there hears it, 
that their hearts will be humbled toward you and drawn to you, that they will have a spirit of repentance, a spirit of humility, a spirit of love towards you that will want to do nothing but be close to you and please you. And we just thank you for that. And we ask you to work in the lives of each and everyone out there within the sound of this. For it is in the very precious and holy name of Jesus we pray. Amen. And thank you for joining us today. And God bless. We'll see you next week.